Uh, let us now turn to the Bible, to Genesis 13. Genesis 13, we'll start reading at verse 1. I'll read through verse 18. And then we'll turn to this sermon on family talk, man's and God's. Uh, Genesis 13, verse 1. Hear now the word of the Lord. Then Abraham went up, or Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him to the south. Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold, and he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place of the altar which he had made there at first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Lot also, who went with Abraham, Abram, he had flocks and herds with tents. Now, the land was not able to support them, that they might dwell together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the here herdsmen of Lot's livestock. The Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. So Abram said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. <clears throat> is it not the whole is not the whole land uh, before you? Please uh, separate from me. If you take the left, then I will go to the right, or if you go to the right, then I will go uh, to the left. And Lot lifted his eyes up and saw all the plain of Jordan that was well watered everywhere before the Lord, before the Lord had destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as you go up toward Zoar. Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. Abram went Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift your eyes now, and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward and westward, for all the land which you see I give to you and your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Arise, walk in the land, uh, walk in the land through its length and its width, for I give it to you. Then Abram moved his tent and went and dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and dwell and built an altar there to the Lord. May the Lord's word be blessed. Let us pray momentarily. Our Father and our God, we pray that you would impress upon our minds a census and information from this text that we might better order our lives. And might we also see Christ in it, uh, that we might see how uh, Christ walked along with the people of God, whether when they were marching from Egypt in the tabernacle or today in modern America where he dwells in the midst 
of all of those who bend their knee and confess with their lips that Jesus is Lord. Let us pray this. Amen. We've been, um, for those of you that are visiting, let me just say that we, we started on a new sermon series just two weeks ago on the, uh, on the family and how dimensions of God's relationships to us as, uh, as we exist in families. And so very often, I'll try to bring this out in sermons that I do so that it's relevant to our lives today. But in this case, I wanted to I wanted to go through a number of passages, starting with Abraham, and just focus on the family. Focus on on, on how um, how we can draw information out of these texts, specifically for the betterments of our families. And whether no matter what state you're in, you could be uh, you could be a, a foster child all alone, you know, in a foster family. Or you could be a member of the biggest family there is. And uh, these things will apply to you and will help you to, to do better in that framework. It wasn't too long ago that I was talking to a man about a, another problem. He was a, a, not a man, a local man. He was a man in another state. I, it's a long story how we got connected. But we were talking together about a problem of modern society. And he said to me, he said, now you should know that even as I'm critical of this cultural problem, he said, I, I'm a man with my own problems. And it almost broke my heart, but he, he confessed to, be, to being a, uh, a victim, well, a perpetrator and a victim of adultery. But he said uh, his wife had uh, taken him back and they were, they were doing really well in their relationship today. I almost broke my heart. I thanked him for being so honest with me about himself. We often aren't that honest, but uh, his, heart, his, his heart had been broken by seeing his sin, by confessing it, by God's kindness and reconciling him with his wife. It's not an easy thing to do, and it's certainly not automatic. And as I talked to him, I said, I, I said well, uh, we were talking about this other cultural problem, but I said, I, I'm also really interested in your relationship here and how, in your recovery. And I said, can you tell me how you are talking with your wife now? Are you really determined to talk things out and to open up new vistas of places where you may, it may have been embarrassing to talk about them, but... Um, you found a way to talk about them. And he said, well, to a degree, but he, we talked about it for a while and he agreed that, that uh, all, of our, all of our marriages are evolving one way or another. They're either evolving in a good, in a good way, in a positive way, or they're evolving in a negative way. If you, if you just let your marriage stop still and don't, you're, not, you're not careful to be aware of this, then you're probably uh, evolving in a negative direction because uh, things in our lives are either positive or negative. Like with the Church of Christ, you're either becoming more uh, intimate with each other in the church, more determined to help each other in the church, 
Or you're becoming less interested. You're, you're drawing back. You're standing by the wayside. You're watching the life of the church go on, but you're not really involved in it. All of our relationships are always going one way or the other. We may not always be aware of the negative, but the way that you can protect yourself from the negative is to work on the positive. If you're working on the positive, if you're building, then you can be confident that you're driving out the negative, that you're driving out the negative possibilities in your life. I don't care whether we're, you know, 12 or 13 or 80 and 90, wherever we are uh, on the um, <clears throat> On the scale, uh, it's a blessing. Uh, this this past week, I, I didn't work very much at the hospital, but uh, one, I was in for an hour one day, and the the uh, head chaplain said he got a call to the emergency room for a uh, uh, coronary arrest, and at the same time, he got a call from one of the nurses stations. There was a lady crying in her room. So he said, I was working on some other stuff there in the office, but he said, could you take that one upstairs while I go to the ER? And I said, sure. So I ran up there. Sure enough, here was this little old lady that was pressing 100 years old, 100 years old. And she really had trouble talking. But um, in talking to her, uh, she didn't seem uh, off-put by my talking to her about... uh, uh, heaven and the, the prospects, the, the great prospects that lay ahead for all of us if we call upon the Lord. And I sort of, as I say some of these things, I'm sort of listening to the people to see, are they are they responding at all? And it, it seemed like she was. And so I, I, then I, after that, I said, would you, because of the hardness of talking to her, because she was so, she did, she just couldn't seem to talk very much. I said, would you like me to read some scripture for you? That's a, sometimes older people, if they're infirm, it will the, the the cadence of the scriptures will just remind them of things of their youth. And so I did that, and then I went the extra mile with her. I, I, I well, I read Psalm 23 to her and talked about that a little bit. And then I said, you know, I know how to sing Psalm 23, and I'm going to sing Psalm 23 to you. So in my Bible, uh, that I in my little Bible that I carry, I also carry. Uh, a Xerox of, a, of some of the psalms that we sing that are in our book. So I got that out and I, I, I saw, sang for her. And I, I pray that that doesn't ruin people. Uh, uh, but uh, when you're really sick and you're on a bed and you're, you're kind of helpless, uh, I think some, many times you're happy to hear anything. And so, uh, so I related to her. But I, I was touched as I was talking to her. Here she was, uh, a woman of, of uh, almost 100 years old, and yet, um, and, and so um, deprived of so many of her abilities to speak, and yet her eyes and her attention seemed to be uh, directly on me, and she did seem to, to have a, a, a brightness about her when I, as I talked about the Lord a little bit. And to today, in, in working in hospitals like that, you've got to be hyper-careful about because people are, tend to be so secular. But anyway, this ties into our, our message here because Abraham had a verbal relationship with the Lord. He talked with the Lord and the Lord talked with him. In the same way that we can talk to the Lord and the Lord talks to us through the scriptures. Now, the first thing I noted here was um, in verse four. It's really a beautiful uh, statement. 
it says that uh, they, that as they this is all, and, and if you weren't here last week, remember that they're coming. They people have just come back from Egypt. They they've been in this famine. Uh, they'd gotten some food in Egypt. They had the the kind of the or the escapade with Abraham not being faith, truthful about his wife Sarah. We we talked about that and how families can often get in troubles like that. But anyway, they're back now in Canaan, and so. Uh, verse 1 says, Abraham went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, Lot with him. And, and he, it says in verse 2, he was very rich in livestock, silver and gold. There's some sense in the earlier passage that they, uh, the Pharaoh, in order to get rid of Abraham, that, he, that they, they bequeathed certain riches on Abraham even as he left, which was a foretaste of what would happen in the Exodus when the basically the whole nation of Israel was capitalized. You know, we have the the mint in uh, Kentucky, uh, where they where they keep the American gold, and uh, in order to be a country, you really need to have a, a certain amount of wealth as the background for your trade and your um, um, uh, creating a nation. And so God did this a couple times with His people uh, to show them that that they did not need to necessarily to be rich up front to be part of His people. But in this case. Uh, we see uh, Abraham back in the area where he originally came from uh, Haran. He, came, he returned to the, pla- the places that he'd been before. <clears throat> and wh- it says where he had first made an altar. And, uh, and, uh, and, and there it says Abraham, Abram called on the name of the Lord. Well, that reminds us of verse 9 up above. Where or or be pre, in the pre, previous text where it says that uh, Abraham had built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. It's a beautiful picture of worship. This idea that when we worship, we call upon the, the name of the Lord. We call upon the Lord to praise Him. We call upon the Lord for our needs. We call upon the Lord just to talk to Him. And regale him with his glory and praise him and thank him for all of the goodness that he's done unto us. So our relationship with God is a verbal, talkative relation. And we see that this is an elemental part of Abraham's relationship with God, uh, whether he was in Egypt or whether he was back now. Uh, God was teaching Abraham more and more about how to talk to him and about how God would talk to Abraham. So that's the first thing we see. Then in verse 4, we see that he, uh, I'm sorry, in verse 7, we see that talking enters into this passage a second time in terms of the family with a nasty talk that was going on because they came back from Egypt and both Abraham was the patriarch of one clan and Lot was the patriarch of another, Lot was his cousin, but uh, and he had come, from Haran with Abraham, and uh, but uh, they were they were the kind of the heads of their of their various clans. And I told you last week that Abraham, the intimation of the text was that Abraham had a lot of people with him. It was like a corporation where you'll have or a big agribusiness where you have a lot of people working for you. And here you see it fleshed out. Uh, Abraham had a, a a large entourage of agricultural. Uh, workers with him, especially people that were good at livestock and at uh, animal husbandry, and um, and uh, all of his people that were a great a great number 
they were not getting along so well with Lot's people, Lot's herdsmen. So you get the picture here of this, these larger families. Now, Abraham at this point could not have any children of his own. Remember this. Uh, he had um, uh, uh, he had not yet even um, had um, uh, his son through Hagar. Uh, yeah, through, uh, through Hagar. And um, and it was a, it was a long time before uh, he had uh, Isaac, but uh, he the God had blessed him, and he was a, a father kind of figure, and people trusted him, and so they wanted to work for him. They wanted to be part of his agribusiness, and so they were there. Now uh, it says in verse uh, verse uh, six that the land the land was not able to support them. So. As they had these, as they began to talk nasty to each other, the herdsmen of Lot and the herdsmen of Abraham, uh, in their jealousy for their own patriarch, uh, we see that there were rational reasons for this. And and as we, and when we have disagreements with each other, disagreements in the church, there are, there are usually rational reasons for them. It wasn't over nothing, but they just weren't able to handle those negatives in as positive a way as they should. They should have realized there are going to be problems. There are going to be problems that lie ahead for us here. The land is not as rich as we might have it. And so it's going to put more pressure on us. So we need to have counsels and we need to do some thinking. We need to strategize. How are we going to deal with these problems? Well, they didn't talk enough. They didn't do what they're supposed to do. We, we, we do this as husbands and wives. Very often with our children, we think, Ten times about how we should we should be telling the children A, B, C, or D, and if we don't, they'll get in trouble or they'll have this or that. But we don't we don't have time for it. We're busy. We're our schedules are intense, and then lo and behold, it gets to the point where the breaking point, where the thing that we saw was a weakness, comes and it bites us, and we're not able to talk as calmly and as constructively. It's always easier to come to these things after you've talked about them once or twice. It's not a good thing to let things build up in our lives and not talk about them. Sometimes talking about them irritates us. Sometimes it it scares us. Sometimes it makes us feel funny, whatever. But we what we see here is that we're supposed to be talkative creatures. Talk is good. I know uh, one of the things I learned about the Reformed faith is that debate uh, is really a healthy thing. I learned that from old Dr. Coppice out in who's out in Denver, now he's in North Carolina. And, uh, but, you know, we had, in Presbytery, we had some pretty uh, ferocious debates, very, very intense. Men believed different things, so they argued it out. He, he stressed to me, he says, Dick, that's a good thing. He said, if you don't talk at that point, uh, then you're not going to be able to go forward. Uh, the Bible is God's way of helping us forward, but our talking about the Bible is the second secret ingredient to moving forward. I, I never forgot that. So uh, Abraham's people did not do that enough, and uh, there was strife in verse 7 between them. And um, <clears throat> and so uh, Abraham, though, was a, uh, a perceptive man, and he probably got complaints from his men, but whatever, he, he took the bull by the horns, as they say. And in verse 8, it says that Abraham talked and uh, talked as the leader. And he, he, uh, he said to Lot, please let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen. For we are brethren. 
You see what he did? He talked, he talked about the most positive side of their relationship. And he was asking that the negatives of, that were happening might be brought into coordination with the positive side of their relationship. This is the way we ought to talk to our husbands and our wives. This is the way we ought to talk to our children. If you're children, this is the way you ought to talk to your brothers and your sisters. Focus on what God wants for you in the positive sense and then talk to the others about how this just uh, the way we're going doesn't seem like we're going to get there. So that's what Abraham did. He gave us a good example of how to talk, of the motivation to talk. He said, uh, we are brethren. He says, is not in verse 9, is not the whole land before you. Please separate from me. And then notice what he says. He says, if you take the left, then I will go to the right. If you go to the right, then I will go to the left. Abraham was 100% confident of God's blessing upon him. It didn't matter which way, which lot would choose. And he gave Lot, even as his inferior, you you could say, well, he was the superior. He should have taken what was going to be the best for his tribe. Abraham knew that the outward circumstances of life do not always add up to the real circumstances of life. He knew that God can make wine out of water or water out of wine. And so he he gives Lot the choice. How, how, what a gracious man he was. What a patriarch was. And he, he, he's a wealthy man, remember. He got wealthy by being this way. He was not grasping. He was not ambitious in the sense of human ambition. He was, he was ambitious, but he was ambitious in the Lord. And even as he was ambitious, he was willing to offer, to, to give the other guy first dibs, as we used to say as when we were kids. Or choices. He gave he gave Lot the choice. The next point we see is that Lot fails to talk. Lot uses his eyes. Lot uses his mind, but he doesn't use his mouth. He doesn't say to Abraham, Uncle Abraham, what I'm most concerned about is that my family continues in an intimate relationship with your clan. You are the patriarch. You are God's prophet. Blessing is going to come through you. So how can we best work together? What do you see? How, how, what do you see from your perspective? Well, how would, be, how would it be best to divide? No, Lot just opened his eyes. He saw, ah, this is the rich area down here. I'm going to go with my senses. I'm going to go with the appetite of my eyes. And so he settled, and it's true, the Jordan Valley uh, is the, the most fertile area in that whole land. Now, there, there were other people there already, but uh, as it is with most communities, the community can stand more people, and as people move there, the community changes and grows and that sort of thing. So um, Lot, Lot moved toward, down toward the valley where it was green, the plain of the Jordan, it says, uh, and it says, but then there's a warning in the scripture. It says, he pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. And there's a further warning after that. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. Don't the wicked always have the best places? Aren't the wicked always the most comfortable in terms of this world? 
Later on, Peter says, way, way after this, years after this, hundred thousand years after this, Peter said that uh, that righteous Lot's heart was tormented in Sodom. He says, he doesn't say very much, just a little bit like that. But what we know is that Lot moved towards Sodom and uh, <clears throat> Lot didn't talk as much as he should have with Abraham and he talked too much with the Sodomites except he didn't talk to them about the Lord. He didn't preach. He could have gone to Sodom. He could have been near Sodom and when he was confronted by the evils of Sodom, he could have opened up his mouth. He could have what we call today street preached or just preached in conversation with them. He could have held himself up as a great example. But Lot ended up, this is really another sermon, but Lot ended up in Sodom too pacifistic, too quiet, too passive. Christians today say, well, we, we, we need to be diplomatic. We need to be, we need to, we need to honor the other guy. We need to be, we need to honor him in all things. Uh, they take uh, exhortations of the scripture that we get along with our neighbors and they use that in a, 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 an unbiblical way. Because while, while God says we can't cure all the ills of the places in which we live in this world, we are aliens in this world, God says. But while we can't cure all the problems of these areas, he says also that we need to be uh, ready, we need to be instant, in season and out, to preach his word, to preach his truth. We need never to, we all need to be ever ready to say, do you not know that there is a living God? And that God exists. We've just had a Supreme Court nominee put before us. If I were the men, if I were the men that were going to examine her, I would examine them specifically, not just on her legal history, although there's a lot there to discuss from what I hear, but I would examine her on her oath of office. You're going to take an oath where it's going to use words like truth and life and faith. How do you define those words? What is the basis of your definitions? Because we live in a day where people will use those words, but they dilute them, and they use the dictionary of the devil in their own minds to prosecute those words. And they lay their hands on the Bible. This is against God's word. We cannot take oaths casually or in a contradictory fashion. I would say that there's more than enough just in her understanding of these simple words to, to say, how can you judge us if you have no basis for any truth, any, any, any understanding of true ethic or true good? But, but uh, that's, uh, that's another sermon for another day. Uh, uh, Lot failed to talk, we see in verse 10, and uh, he got into, we, it doesn't say this here, but we know he got into a deep trouble, uh, both uh, in, in his family. His family ultimately, he lost everything, basically. He ended up in a cave with his two daughters, and then he, he, uh, the daughters seduce him, and out of that issue come the antagonistic clans of Moab and Ammon, who were enemies of the Lord forever and ever. So um, 
so we see, fourthly here, that, that Lot failed to talk. Abraham knew how to talk, but, but Lot was not as good. And he didn't do it. And lastly, we see that God talks to Abraham in verse 14. It's really interesting that it's after Lot leaves that God has his most intimate conversation with Abraham. And he says to Abraham, Look up from the place where you are, northward and southward, eastward and westward, for all the land which you see I give to you and your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants could also be numbered. None of us ought to be um, put down or discouraged too much if, if people want to nickname us Dusty. Because <laughs> we are part of that dust of the earth, afar off. You notice, when God spoke to Abraham at this time, he didn't say, your property only goes to the, to the, uh, the sea on the, on the west, or to the Euphrates, or to, or to the River Jordan, or actually across the River Jordan. But he didn't give him any physical dimensions like that. He gave him directional dimensions. He said, look to the north, look to the west, look to the east, to the west, look to the south. In this promise of God to give Abraham a great inheritance is the promise of the whole earth. It teaches us that uh, after Adam and Eve had, had begun to populate the earth, and then Noah and his family had populated the earth, that God's dimensions are extensive. They don't just go to this river or that river. They go to the east and to the west and the north and the south. Immediately, Abraham's inheritance was in a more uh, specific place, this land of Canaan, which God would show him. When he brought them out of Egypt, he, he explained it exactly where the land was for them. But the original promise to Abraham is this promise that is extremely broad that it takes in the whole world. The east and the west and the north and the south. And there are Christians in uh, the Arctic. There are Christians in uh, the coldest parts of South America and uh, Asia. Because God's word is working and he is filling the earth and subduing it according to his name. Um, <clears throat> uh, as God talks to Abraham here, he says that uh, he gives him these great promises. He says, I'll make your descendants of the dust of the earth so that if man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants could also be numbered. Arise. Walk in the land through its length and breadth, for I give it to you. Then Abraham moved his tent and went and dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, which are in Hebron. And he built an altar there to the Lord. To the Lord. So he started this text by talking, calling upon the name of the Lord. He ends here by uh, talking to the Lord. And uh, God is talking to Abraham, and it was all going to be blessed. Now we remember, most significantly, what is God's greatest and most powerful speech? It's the incarnation of the word of the living God. The incarnation of Jesus, his son. Even as he speaks to his, uh, his earthly son, Abram here, implicit in that is the fact that he will bring these to pass through his incarnate son even the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, God does a lot of talking to us, but there's nowhere where he talks more clearly or more powerfully than through his son, Jesus Christ.
Jesus came not just to be the Word of God, but he came to talk to us as the Word of God. We have some of the most powerful scriptures in the Bible through his revelation that he gave his apostles, the whole New Testament. The whole New Testament finishes and flourishes and invigorates the Old Testament because we see with the coming of Christ, we see the the fullness of all things. We see how Christ is the foundation of all things. Colossians tells us how, how all things consist in him. How in him we have everything that we can possibly have. Because God talks to us. Let us talk to each other. Let us not minimize this idea of talking. God means it for grace. Let's use it. Let's let's be blessed in it. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we pray that thou wouldst make us good talkers. We pray that we might see how we were created, how our uniqueness and our beauty isn't talking. And we know, oh Lord, that some people are good talkers and some people are bad. But we pray that wherever we are on the spectrum, that we would realize that this is thy promise unto us and that this is the instrument, thy chosen instrument to help us to relate to one another. Bless us, O Lord, in this. We thank thee that thou hast created us with tongues that we can talk and tongues that we can sing. O God, we praise thee for the Psalms and the way we can sing to you your own words. Bless us, O God, in this holy speech. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.